And we're back for part two of the photography podcast. And this is probably the most important part, uh, especially for big beginners, which is how to actually, you know, come off of auto setting on your camera. Now, these are going to be, as I talked about before, kind of the more or less redneck explanation of how this stuff works or how I've come to understand it uh, the easiest and explain it the easiest. Um, you know, when you when you have um, most you know, decent cameras, you're going to have a setting for manual, um, which is full manual. And then you have a shutter priority setting an aperture priority setting. Uh, and I think there's like a program auto now, you know, for the most part, I shoot everything in good lighting in aperture priority. Um, I'm not going to go into that yet because I need to explain how these things work, but, um, you have, uh, on your camera three, uh, basic but very important adjustments you can make. And those adjustments are your ISO. Uh, I don't know what that stands for, but um, you can look it up. Your shutter speed and your aperture setting or your f-stop. Um, those three things have to work in continuity with each other. And the one thing that you want to remember is that you're trying to, when, you, when you're taking a photo, you're trying to stop time and capture the moment, not to get too girly about this, um, and when you're trying to do that, especially in piss poor lighting situations, auto will not stop time and capture the moment correctly, um, as well as it can once you learn how to adjust your settings and low light being the biggest variable, um, and learning how to adjust these allows you to, uh, to be able to stop those moments, um, and, represent them to whether it be social media, friends and family, or just yourself later on to look like it did when you were looking at it with your own eye, meaning sitting by a fire, um, headlamps on, drinking coffee um, inside of a tent with the steam coming out of, uh, you know, the thermos. One of my favorite photos is of uh, that I've taken in the last year was of uh, Amy, my fiance, and she was inside, um, we were inside of a hill of, no, we were inside of a sawtooth and she was making coffee at five 30 in the morning and the steam's coming up. Um, she looks tired because she is, she doesn't like that portion of the photo. Um, her headlamps on. And because I know how to adjust the settings on the camera, I was able to stop the steam. So you could see it coming up get the lighting correct on her headlamp, the shading on her face correctly. And I would not be able to do that in auto. So, you, you know, the things I'm about to talk about are going to hopefully explain to you a little bit anyway of how to stop time. Um, and I use that, that phrase a lot, capturing the moment and stopping time, because that is truly what you're doing, in my opinion, when you're taking a photo is stopping time so you can show it later um, and tell a story. If you don't, uh, if you don't know how to do these things, you're just not going to be able to do it that well. So either way, ISO, shutter speed, aperture priority. We'll talk about, or aperture, excuse me. We'll talk about aperture first. Now, with aperture, it is how big the hole in your lens opens. And again, that's kind of a redneck explanation. There's little blades inside your lens, and when you adjust the aperture. When, uh, the number setting on that, meaning, you know, a super fast lens is like a one four and it goes up to, so it'll say F 1.4 and it'll go up to, let's say F 22. 
Now, a lot of these are like, what the hell are you talking about? Well, what that is, the smaller the number, meaning 1.4, is the larger that circle is open. Um, not the speed. The, sh- the, the shutter is how fast the shutter opens and closes. The aperture is how big that circle opens up to. Now, a good rule of thumb or good thing to think about is the lower the number, the more light is let in. That hole is opened huge, but the lower, the smaller the number, the less is in focus, the least amount. So if you have a, a lens, which fast lenses are expensive, meaning uh, one that opens up really wide, uh, like a 1.4, that's only going to say somebody's eye will be in focus perfectly, perfectly, and their ear will be out of focus. So the depth of field uh, is what it's called is extremely shallow. Uh, so aperture priority allows you to, uh, on your camera setting, allows you to adjust how much depth of field you have, how much is going to be in focus. So if I'm taking a photo of hmm, someone just standing there, an aperture setting of like an F4.5 or 5.6 is plenty. They're going to be in focus, I, you know, depending upon what you're trying to compose in your photo. Um, you don't need too much behind it or in front of it in focus, just the person. So you can set it up to like F4, 5 or 5, 6. Um, if you're trying to get just, let's say, the face of an ant for like a macro photography, you're going to want like an F1.4 or something. Um, but let's say you're wanting to get a huge row of flowers in a giant field, you know, bumping up to F11, F18, um, you know, that's going to allow almost everything to be in focus. Now, where the problem lies, what, what happens with that is that hole is being open really small, meaning it's not allowing very much light inside of your camera. And so, uh, and that's where they all work in continuity with each other, meaning the shutter and the ISO as well. So if you are trying to uh, take a photo of somebody walking in low light, it always comes out blurry, their hands moving, you know, st- things like that, there's issues. Um, and if your, your camera was an auto, you know, it could have like too high of a, of an aperture setting. So, you know, if your if your aperture setting is at F4 or F4.5 and it's fairly low light and the, the person is, is moving a little bit that, that the, uh, the, 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 the aperture is not letting enough light in. Um, so then you have to adjust your shutter speed. And if you have your shutter open too fast or too slow, you're going to run into other issues. So we'll talk about shutter speed now or it won't make any sense. So your shutter speed is how fast your shutter opens and closes. And if your shutter opens and closes really fast, it does really well at stopping time and not allowing it any blur, uh, but it also doesn't let any light in. And so if you do a, if you take a, a photo and your uh, shutter speed is like super fast, so it's stopping anything you, you want it to stop or, or freezing it, um, it's not allowing very much light in. Um, and, you know, when you have it, your camera set up an aperture priority, that works great in normal lighting condi- conditions because it's matching the shutter speed to go along the lines of whatever you have your aperture set at. Um, and I shoot an aperture priority in any normal lighting conditions because I just don't have to worry about the shutter speed. And so, again, the faster the shutter speed opens and closes, 
right? The less blur, but the less lighting. The slower, more blur, blur, but more lighting. And so if you have the aperture set up low, like an f2.8, so it's got the big hole, and you have your shutter speed fairly slow, uh, meaning it opens and closes somewhat slow, you're going to potentially blow out the photo because you're letting too much light in. Um, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's kind of the basic redneck way to explain it. Um, now, when you go to ISO, um, there is a way better way to explain it than I'm going to, but literally it is, it, the way I look at it is enhancing the light available in the, what you're in the, in the, the photo or the potential photo you're about to take, meaning if there's a headlamp on, um, you know, if the, the moonlight's out, whatever, you know, you have around you, it's going to enhance that. But the higher you raise your ISO, the blurrier the photo gets. So if you've noticed maybe on some of your cameras when you have it set up in auto, you take a photo and it's pretty low light, but, uh, you know, it's taking a decent photo, except it's super grainy. Well, that's because it's jacked the ISO through the roof uh, to be able to uh, compensate for the lack of light in that specific picture or photo. Um, so when um, uh, you, you take a photo, um, you really, camera depending and everything else, you really don't want to ever try and go over, in my opinion, 1600 ISO. Uh, after that, even with really good cameras, your photo is just too grainy. So when you go to look at a potential picture that you want to take, um, you know, once it becomes second nature, uh, I, I already know what I'm going to uh, start my initial settings at. And we'll do a few, we'll do some um, kind of hypothetical situations, what I look at for those photos, how I would adjust my camera and go from there. Give me one second because I need to take a drink of water. That's some high quality H2O. All right. So let's say you're wanting to do a trophy photo and it's a moose and you've got brush on the left and right side of you. So you're kind of forced to sit into the back end of the moose and you're in Alaska and the lighting is pretty low. It's always cloudy in Alaska. Not always, but it's pretty much always cloudy in Alaska. And so you are forced with a few different things. Um, you're forced with low light and you're going to need to be, have a pretty, you know, um, a relatively uh, deep depth of field. Or you're going to need your aperture number to be pretty high. Otherwise, either you or the animal is going to be out of focus. And so you're going to need to have like, let's say a seven one or something um, aperture setting, which does not let a whole lot of light in. Well, if you're doing this in aperture priority, which is what I do, the shutter speed is taken into consideration already by the camera and fixed for you. Um, the problem with with that, what that can be is it can be just be too damn dark. Um, I mean, you can't. Um, you can't really uh, cheat the system too much when you're in aperture priority. Now, you're going to need a tripod um, for the most part in these set situations. And you're going to need the people to hold still to take a photo like this that we're talking about. And so I'm going to set my aperture pretty high, high number. That's not going to allow very big uh, opening. The hole's going to be pretty small. So I'm going to need the shutter open 
for a decent amount of time. Now, I will usually take my first photo in aperture priority to see how it comes out, meaning I choose my aperture. The camera is setting the uh, shutter speed commensurate with what I have chosen for aperture. And I'm going to first take that photo because I shoot manual ISO. I'm going to take the first photo in ISO 400. Probably not enough, but it's going to be enough to at least take the photo and me look at it and pick it apart from there to see if maybe, hey, maybe it did work out. Because with ISO 400, grain is not an issue. Now I know I can bump it up and go higher. And depending upon how big the photo could be blown up or if I'm just putting it on social media, you know, if it's just going to be a small photo and not really stretched out to like 10 foot by 12 foot, I can go higher and higher ISO. And that's something else you have to take into consideration with what you're doing with that photo. So I've got my tripod set up. I've smacked the people in the head behind the moose because I don't want them to move. I get my my um, ISO set at 400, shutter speed set it for set for me automatically. I've got a pretty deep depth of field. Now, what I don't want to do is have some camera shake. So I'm going to put like a two-second timer on my camera. That way, when I'm pushing the button, there's no shake or anything. Not a huge, you know, issue in this consider in this specific situation, but never hurts. So I've got my two-second um you know, timer. Hit the button two seconds later, takes the photo, and it's pretty good, but it's a little bit dark, right? It's just not quite there. And I'm like, okay, well, do I want to go lower on my aperture to open that hole bigger? Well, if everything's in focus about like I want, that automatically is taken out of the consideration. I'm not going to do that. So what I'm going to do is leave my shutter open a little bit longer. So I'm going to drop that down a little bit, keep my ISO at 400 in hopes to um, not have any grain or maybe bump it up to six. I'm going to take the photo again. That'll generally get it. I usually only need one try to get it right. And that is a, a very good explanation of how shutter, ISO, and aperture work with each other. But that's in relatively, you get way worse lighting situations than that. So let's say our next, um, you know, simulated situation um, is taking a photo of a, mm, let's see, uh, an elk, you know, bugling, uh, for example, walking around screaming, and you're wanting to get the snot stopping coming out of his nose. You don't want a string of snot, um, like blurry snot. You literally want to stop that snot popping out of his nose and the slobber out of his mouth. So your lighting's relatively decent, but he's it's okay, but he's moving really, really fast. So you're going to have to make that shutter open and close really quick to stop time. Now, how much of that elk do you want in focus? Well, if you're just trying to get his snot, right, the frontal part of his face, Within reason, you can drop down to like an F4, F4.5 to get that opening bigger to let more light in. Uh, you don't want to go too shallow because you don't want to get one inch of his snot clear. You want to get his face and the snot. So drop down to like F4.5, something like that, F4. Uh, you got a, quite a bit of light there. That should allow your shutter uh, speed to be open and close a little bit faster. So let's say you take a couple photos like that and it's like, well, crap, he's still just a little blurry. At that point in time, I'm going to assess what's more important to me. 
And generally, I'm going to bump up my ISO um, if all the other portions of the photo are what I want them to be. Um, and so I'll bump that ISO up, which will allow that shutter speed to stay where it's at or potentially go a little bit faster uh, or open and close a little bit quicker to, again, stop that snot flying out of his nose. And I'll bump that up, like, again, to 1,012 or 1,600 if that will get it um, to do what I want while the aperture and shutter are staying where I want them to be. Now, that's, that's snot, right? That's, that's not flying out of a nose. Let's say next situation is going to be you've got three elk, three cows, or let's say, yeah, three cows, and you've got a bull behind them pushing them, and you want everything in focus. And you're only going to have a certain amount of time to knock these things out of the park. If that's the case, a lot of times what I'll do, um, not a lot of times, sometimes I'll either take it out of aperture priority um, for the simple fact that it just may be a little bit darker than I want. And I will manually set up my shutter speed and ISO as well as my aperture. Now, if I've got three cows and a bull in a row, I'm going to need a pretty high um depth or, or deep depth of field. So I'm going to need a pretty high aperture. I'm going to take a guess and I'll just say F8. Um, and I probably don't need that much, you know, but I, I might need a little, it might be a little bit less than that'll be good. But let's say F8. Now that, you know, depending upon the light, let's say it's just cloudy. That is going to, I mean, right there, that's going to tell me I better bump up my ISO above 400 if it's pretty cloudy, uh, maybe to 600. And I better set my shutter speed, um, to especially if they're kind of moving or running um, to let's say 500 um, which is one five hundredths of a second uh, which is fairly quick and I'm going to snap that a couple times real quick just to see how that comes out um, and what I need to do if if that elk is still blurry okay and I want all of them in focus um, and it the lighting is fairly close I'm going to have to raise my ISO. I, I don't have a choice because I'm also going to have to speed up my shutter speed if they're still blurry. So I've got the aperture correct, but I need the shutter speed to be a little bit faster. That's going to darken it even more. So I have no choice. I got to bump my ISO up. There's no way around it. It is what it is. If you want to capture that shot, you're not really going to have a choice. You're going to have to deal with some potential grain. Now, when I talk about grain... At 12 to 1600 ISO for Facebook and Instagram, it's a moot point. You're not going to have grain. When you blow them up is where the grain comes into play. Um, so now let's take another um, uh, hypothetical. So I want to get a night shot. I don't want the, um, I don't want anything blown out, right? So I, there's a guy outside with a headlamp and that headlamp is probably going to be my biggest issue. Okay, because that's going to be blown out for the most part because my ISO is going to be pretty high to pick up the stars and I'm going to have a very long, my shutter is going to be open for a long time. So I've got a headlamp inside my shelter um, and it's just sitting on the floor because it's going to make the photo look cooler. I've got a guy outside who's going to stand still for me, hopefully with a headlamp on. Uh, and then I've got the stars. Okay, so... Depending upon the illumination of the moonlight, which hopefully there isn't very much, um, I'm going to be able to keep my shutter speed open for, for quite a while. Um, let's say 
I'll start with 15 seconds. And I'm going to need really all the light I can get. So for pretty much all night shots like this, I'm going to have to have 2.8, f3.5, or f4. One of those three settings, which is a pretty shallow depth of field, um, for this shot to allow all of this light in that's, that's going to be needed. So I'm not going to focus on the stars. I don't really care if they're perfectly in focus because they're way out there. I, I want the tent and the dude standing there to be in focus. So I'm going to um, uh, more or less focus in on my shelter and the guy first. And I'm going to start with F4 um, in hopes that, you know, gives me a little bit more uh, um, depth of field and opens that hole a little bit. It is, or my aperture's open a little bit enough, I'm hoping, right, to let the light in. And I'm going to start with 15 seconds um, for my, so my shutter's going to be open for 15 total seconds. Literally, it's open that long. Um, now my ISO, usually the guy with the headlamp, he's your a-hole, right? Not on purpose, but that dude with the headlamp, that headlamp is going to be blown out to high hell because your ISO is generally pretty high to help get those stars. So one, I'm going to have him dim that down lower than you would even think he would need to be on his headlamp. Turn that headlamp down because your shutter's open for so long and your ISO is so high. Believe me, that headlamp's going to be pretty dang bright. And I may have him, you know, we, we've gone to, um, you know, putting tape over the headlamps to catch a cool photo. We don't really fake those too much anymore, mostly because we're lazy. But um, you don't want him looking at the camera. Have him looking kind of down in a way so that light's not shining straight at the camera. Um, now, I'm going to make sure and put it on at least a two-second timer. Or I'm going to use my remote because you don't want your camera shaking it off from hitting the actuation button. So I take the photo. And this is really difficult, but you need to make sure and listen to this. When that photo is taken, when you look at that photo... You're looking at a very well-lit screen in a very dark place. So it gives you false sense of hope because I guarantee you when you get home, that fucker is going to be a lot darker than you think. So keep that in mind. And the histogram for night photography is out the window. I'll go into that in a minute for daytime photography because I, I use the histogram a lot. Uh, but for night photography, not so much, or at least not for me. So I look at it and I'm like, oh, I can see some stars. You know, the tent's a little bit dull. And, but the, the headlamp's pretty bright. Okay, so do I need to bump up my ISO to make things shine a little bit more? Or do I need to lengthen my shutter speed? What I generally do is both. I will first bump up to 20 seconds on my shutter. I'll then bump back down to 15. You know, I'll take a photo with a 20 second shutter speed um, and my ISO the same as it was. And then I'll bump it back down and then I'll raise my ISO and I'll take that photo and then I'll bump both my shutter speed and my ISO and take another photo. Now, these night shots are an epic pain in the ass because now what you're going to be able to do once you've taken those is keep your shutter speed at 15 seconds, keep your ISO at let's say 1200 and now you're going to drop your depth of field, which is going to open up even more light. So now I'm going to open, take it at 3.5 uh, aperture. And I'll take it again. And then I'm going to do it one more time at 2.8, adjusting along the way. There is no um, 
I wouldn't say there's an exact science to, I won't say there's none exact science to night photography because you can definitely get pretty dang close taking these night shots. But I always bump up and bump down both ways on just about everything from aperture, shutter, and ISO. Because one of those photos, and it's so damn hard to see exactly what's in focus, it's so hard to see um, on that screen, uh, at least for me anyway, to get it perfect. So I'll usually end up taking um, eight to 10 photos, which takes forever because your shutter's open for so long, uh, of one setup. Um, and that's how I'll do those night shots. Now, if you if you keep everything exactly the same, but you add a TP in there with embers coming out of the top, nothing really changes of what I'm doing. The only thing that you'll see that changes in the photo a lot is do you have long streets, like your your embers coming out of the stove? Because when we take these, we try to make them look cool. We'll pull the sparker ester out a little bit so more embers come out of the top of the stovepipe. And what we'll, we'll either get is little specks of embers coming out with little streams behind them. Or if the shutter's open, you know, for a really long time, it'll be one long continuous stream. And I do that on purpose. Some photos I'll like better than others when I'm looking at all of this. So a few examples there. I'll try not to run at the mouth too much. Now, let's go back to daytime. We've talked about shutter, aperture, and ISO. Let's talk about white balance and metering. Um, now, I'm probably going to hack this up pretty good on the white balance portion of it. But the way that I understand it is if you took a white sheet of paper outside and you put that white sheet of paper well outside inside or in the morning at night that sheet of paper is always white but depending upon the lighting around it it's going to turn a little yellow a little bit blue a little bit whatever a little gray um, and what the white balance setting is doing is getting is is changing your settings on your camera to get that back as close to white as you possibly can, depending upon the lighting surroundings you're dealing with. Probably hack that up a little bit. And it really doesn't matter because I know how to set my um, white balance to what I want, which is really what's most important. But I think I explained that somewhat correctly. So for me, I like a little bit softer look. And a lot of you guys have probably noticed my daytime photos have kind of a softer brownish look. I shoot my... Um, white balance and shady house a lot, which gives it a kind of a browner, softer look. Now, I don't always do that. Um, but what you're basically wanting to do when you change your white balance, especially if you're not going to adjust it in post-processing, um, is you're going to want to set it up to make it replicate what you're looking at it with your own eyes. Um, so you have these different settings, you know, you have tongues, you have the different indoor lighting options to adjust on most cameras. And then you have auto, you have cloudy, you have sunny, you have a shade, what I call shady house, which is a house showing shade. And then you have um, what I've started using a hell of a lot more um, is you just adjust the Kelvin yourself. So you can adjust it to match on your own without using closer to an auto setting. And it literally, when you're changing, um, you're kind of changing the tint of the photo when you're messing with the white balance. Now, when you do auto, it seems like they come out really grayish looking. Um, when you do shady house, for the most part, they come out kind of brownish looking. So that just really depends on what style you're wanting to shoot. I don't shoot shady house in the snow because 
I learned the hard way. It kind of looks like shit. Um, everything looks kind of brown and off. It's not a horrible photo. Um, so I started just shooting in cloudy in the snow and I mess with my stuff in post-processing a lot, but that, that's what that white balance setting does. And I'm, I'm sure someone that's far better at photography will dive on, uh, maybe the Instagram, um, you know, post that we have about this and they can explain it a little better. Now, what metering does is it's, it's taking, um, I'm trying to, it's going to try and average your photo, um, the, the lighting in your photo, it's trying to set an average. Um, so if you have different metering set up before I jump ahead here too far, you have different metering um, options, meaning you'll have like full frame, meaning it's metering all the different light and the entire frame of the photo. You're going to have pinpoint metering, which is going to be basically like a center weighted, whatever, you, you know, the if it's on a person, it's going to be... Um, metering off of only that person and forgetting about everything else in the photo. And, and again, I'll probably not explain this quite correctly, but, um, I know how it works and that's the most important thing. So let's say, um, I want, you know, I'm shooting, uh, someone with the sun is at their back. So it's backlit, it's lit up in their back like crazy. And if I have basically the metering set up to meter the entire, um, you know, photo, it's going to take all these different chunks of that photo, parts of it, and try to take like a med median and mode to where the average of the entire photo is 50%, 50 or 60. I should know that. Uh, meaning there may be shady spots. There are spots in the photo that are at a 23%. There may be other spots that are a 65, but overall the average is 50% of the entire photo. Now, when you have like a spot metering, it's metering on just that one thing, and it's going to take and average that out to 50% the amount of light let in it. And I hope I'm explaining this correctly. Where it really matters is the fact of what you want in your photo. Do you want the person to be just a silhouette with a rack on his back and the metering, you know, not having it blown out behind them with the sun or whatever is back behind, back behind them? Or do you want to try to light up that person and blow out the background? Um, yeah, it really just depends on what you're trying to shoot. For example, you know, sometimes it's pretty cool when you're taking a photo to kind of give a person a halo look, uh, especially when I do like portraits. A lot of times I will meter on that specific person. They kind of get a glow around them. Um and it'll be a little bit blown out in the back and I'll adjust a little bit of that in post. So I'll just do spot metering on that person, blow out the background a little bit. They're very well lit up, kind of gives them a cool halo look. But other times, if I want somebody like a guy at full draw we did the other day aiming off a cliff, I just I just basically do full frame, what I, what I call, um, well... So I don't confuse you. I am metering off the entire photo, everything in it. So that means it's going to be pretty much a, the person will be a silhouette, but the back won't be blown out. But you have a kick-ass silhouette of someone aiming downhill. And we did this the other day when um, we were taking some photos. Um, you know, that's great and all, but let's say the person that's in the photo, you want to be able to see who he is. You're going to either have to adjust that in post-processing or you're going to have to um, go to pinpoint metering and have the back just blown out a little bit. Um, you know, for all um, intents and purposes, for most people, they should probably just leave it on, um, 
you know, I think, I guess it's evaluate metering of the, of, of the full frame, not spot metering. And so that way it's kind of a happy medium all the time. But when you start shooting different things, you're going to want to adjust that metering depending upon the type of look you want. Um, again, I probably hacked that up a little bit. Uh, in fact, I'm sure I did. So just Google or look at it on YouTube. There's a ton of different great videos on YouTube that explain how metering works as well as how a white balance works. And they're going to do a far better job than I am. So, uh, and you know, again, all that stuff works in continuity with each other when you're taking a photo, uh, as, and, and those work along lines with, um, or at least metering does with ISO shutter speed and aperture priority. Um, some of the other things that you want to think about is what you can do in post-processing when you're taking a photo, meaning, uh, I don't take any photos in HDR. Um, and that's like splicing three photos together. Um, just Google HDR and it'll explain it better than me. But what I do is in post-processing, I'll a lot of times give it kind of an HDR look, especially if it's just for Instagram or social media. I don't ever hardly print um, or get blown up big HDR photos. Sometimes I do, but it is kind of cool. A lot of people like that look. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll do like an archaic type of a look, like a really dark, gloomy look, um, you know, on some of my photos. That's all done in post-processing. And the photo I take from the beginning, um, you know, when I'm actually snapping the photo, I'll have in mind what I may want to do with that in post-processing. And you're going to want to, you know, as you're composing the photo, think about that as well. If you're going to want to adjust it later on and what you may want to do or, or how you want to take that photo at that specific time for adjustments later on. Um, some of the other things that, you know, you can, you know, you're going to want to learn on the camera and what you may or may not want to do is shooting in raw or JPEG. Um, I used to shoot everything in raw. Um, and, uh, I still kind of agree with that. Um, you know, especially if, I mean, if you're going to be printing your photos, but with technology now and how big the file size is, uh, especially if I'm going to be putting them a lot of them just on social media, um, since I don't get so many dinks anymore as far as bad photos, um, and I don't need to adjust a lot of photos, especially if it's cloudy and I have good lighting, um, I'll shoot in JPEG a lot because I don't need to tweak the photos at all. But in if I'm taking a photo in bad lighting conditions, I'll shoot it in RAW, uh, shoot, take that, shoot that photo in RAW so I have a larger file size so I can adjust it later in post-processing. Um, and so... To, to explain that maybe one more time, if I have good lighting, I know I don't need to make a whole lot of adjustments. I just shoot in JPEG. But if you're just getting started out and you're not quite familiar with everything and sometimes you kind of screw up your photos, I think it's a good idea uh, when you're getting into it, if you're going to be putting your photos in post-processing software like Lightroom, to shoot in RAW. And so when you do screw up your photos, they're still not total junkers and you can adjust them because you have all that data in that photo. Now, as I've gotten better at photography, as the cameras have definitely advanced and the file size is pretty huge, again, I shoot in JPEG probably about 30% of the time, 25% of the time, especially when it's cloudy out and I don't have that harsh lighting. Um, cause I, you know, I, I shoot with my histogram, which I'll talk about in a sec. Uh, and if the histogram's right, the photo's right. The histogram is definitely truer than looking at the screen. Um, so something to think about whether you want to shoot in raw or JPEG, um, 
there's really not any reason to shoot in RAW if you're not putting in post-processing because it gives you a flat photo anyway. Um, there's no torquing or tweaking done to it. It takes all that away when you, when you, when you go to actually use the photo. So do, do not shoot in raw if you're not going to be used post-processing software, um, only shoot in JPEG. But if you do use Lightroom, you're just getting started or haven't got everything quite figured out. I think it's a good idea to shoot in raw. So you have that data, uh, to adjust that photo. Um, so next thing, the histogram, I think the histogram, especially for beginners is probably the most uh, foreign, but the most important thing you should learn to read. Now, I've watched a lot of videos on reading and understanding the histogram, and there's definitely two major schools of thought. One is on your histogram, and uh, make sure you take a look at, um, uh, you know, look at this on uh, uh, YouTube or Google it or, or whatever the case, um, so you know. Th they're going to explain it better than I can, especially with pictures and video. So for more in-depth, Google it and look it up. But with the histogram... You know, I always kind of followed for forever. The general rule of thumb is I just want kind of a big bump in the middle of my histogram, meaning it's not too far to the right or left for darks and uh, for for bright and for dark. Um, in that histogram, um, man, this can be, I don't really think of this ahead of time. This can be a little bit harder to, to describe. What that histogram is showing you is the average of your photo for darks and for uh, lights, meaning uh, what's too bright and what's too dark and what's perfect. Perfect being the middle of the histogram. And when you take a photo, if you ever see that little screen, that looks like a jagged peak going up and down. That's your histogram. If you take a photo and you have a nice smooth bump in the middle, you generally have a perfect photo, but you don't always have perfect lighting and so you can't always take a perfect photo according to the histogram. And that's where I've really gotten into lately is learning that histogram and imperfect lighting. Now, I will say if you're taking photos and your little mountain range you have is f like maxed to the top of the screen, you're getting to where that's unusable data that you can't adjust um, in post-processing. So uh, without me hacking this up anymore, because I'm hacking it up pretty bad right now, Make sure and learn and read about the histogram on YouTube or a book or whatever, because once you learn how to read it, you don't even need to look at the picture on the screen anymore. Your histogram, almost always, not always, is going to tell the tale of how good your photo is. So make sure and learn, you know, your histogram settings. Now, a few other things to think about or to look at is when to shoot in um, like when to shoot in single shot and when to shoot in multiple or continuous. And I know that probably doesn't seem that big of a deal at the time, especially when you're starting out because um, you're just trying to take one good photo or you'll take eight or nine photos that, you know, you're just snapping them. You're not really paying attention. But once you start um, really getting to know like your photos, um, like when you're, taking photos of groups of people, of animals, of people hiking or climbing, trophy photos. Um, all you're doing when you're snapping a lot of photos is just burning up memory cards. You know, you're not hurting anything. And so anytime if I'm taking a landscape shot, a camp shot, um, you know, a shot in low light, I'm only taking one photo, right? I'm just taking one picture. I don't need to be in continuous. 
But anytime I'm taking a trophy photo, anytime I'm taking a, like a, if I'm photographing a wedding, I shoot in continuous because while you're trying to capture that moment, sometimes that moment, those people's eyes are closed. Sometimes they just look stupid. They got a doofy ass face. Sometimes that's good to catch that. But if you shoot in continuous and you shoot six or seven photos or 10 or whatever um, of that same exact shot, one of them is going to turn out better than the others. You know, it could be in a wedding. Let's say the person's let, you know, the male, the, the groom's left hand isn't quite perfect um, on the bride's hand. But in one of those, it's got the thumb out of the way of the ring or their eyes are open instead of shut. In case of, let's say, a trophy photo, um, you know, it could be like literally the eyes, the nose, something's weird in their face. Um, and it'll get, you know, maybe their expression, their heads turned a little bit more one way or the other. And that's when you want to shoot in continuous. Now, if I'm at camp and I'm just taking a picture of my tent, I don't need to shoot continuous. That makes no sense. My first photo should be my best because there's nothing moving around in it if my settings are correct. Um, and so you want to make sure and shoot in continuous when it's applicable. And I know a lot of guys don't do that. Um, but man, I tell you what, now, if you ever go to like a photo shoot we do or when we're in the field, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, the movie 300 when the arrows are landing. Um, I'm taking a lot of photos when it's of people because um, facial expressions tell that story so much. Um, and one may be better than the other. Um, and, and again, there's a time and a place for that. So definitely learn when you want to use single shot or continuous, um, you know, as far as on your actuations. Uh, next thing to think about um, is really learn the autofocus in your camera um, or if you want to shoot manual focus. Um, I use when I use manual focus, I usually use focus peaking, which is an option in 850, which means there's going to be like a yellow, blue or no, it's red, yellow or white outline around the person when he's in focus, he or she. And it also shows you the depth of field, what all is in focus when you take the photo. Uh, that's focus peaking, which just Google that and you'll figure it out. But if you're not shooting in manual and you're shooting in auto, sometimes you're going to want like a center weighted auto focus. Sometimes you're going to want to use focus. You're going to use tracking. Sometimes, um, you know, like it you, with the technology we have nowadays, I can lock on to Amy walking down the street, zigzagging. I don't really have to move the camera much and it locks on and stays with her the entire time. You don't want that all the time, uh, but sometimes you need that. So learning how autofocus works and the adjustments to fit what you're actually doing is very, very important. Uh, I would say for the most part, I shoot center weighted auto or manual. I just go back and forth from that. I, I Just because of how I use my camera and the photos I take. Um, you know, I use autofocus a decent amount when I'm doing, um, you know, wildlife photography. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm generally the center weighted, um, unless I'm shooting, you know, birds flying around, I can move the camera and lock onto the, the animal without issue. But there's a lot better people out there to learn from for, for wildlife photography than me. I'm just really getting into it um, in depth. Um, you know, I, I have learned shooting birds flying around. I definitely change, um, you know, how my, my camera is set up, especially in the autofocus or focus category. Um, and I bounce to manual a ton, um, just for the tracking 
portion of it catching birds is pretty dang hard to do. So anyway, some of that stuff, I'm, I, I, again, I'm, I'm hacking it up a little and you can look it up. And that's the biggest thing that what I want to get across in this podcast is even if you don't understand what the hell I'm saying, I'm at least giving you enough to go learn it on YouTube or somewhere else. Um, so I think that pretty much gets across for the most part what I wanted to talk about. Um, shutter speed, you know, a quick, uh, you know, brief back here. Shutter speed is how fast and how slow your shutter opens and closes. Um, and the faster it opens and closes, the less blurry you're going to get, but the less light uh, aperture. Um, that is going to be how big the hole opens and how much light's left it, uh, light that you know lets in. And so the lower the number, the more light that's let in, but the less that's in focus. Um, higher number. Less light, but more is in focus. Uh, and then ISO is how much um, the lighting you have available is enhanced is the higher the number for ISO. But the higher the number, high ISO you go, uh, it also is the more grain you get. So you know, kind of a good rules of thumb there to think about. Um, either way, oh, we got kids running by me. Um, if you guys have any questions, uh, please throw them down on the Instagram post we make about this on Kafaru Cast. Um, especially if you're going to, um, if you, you know, I always love it when other guys that know what they're doing chime in. Um, you know, because I, I don't always explain it as well. I know how to do it, but I don't explain it like I want to. Or they have found maybe found different. Um, ways that they do it that work well for them. So hopefully you learned something from this. I'm going to take another break over part three, um, you know, lessons learned, uh, as well as things like uh, composing shots in the field, problems we've run into, things like that.